bless your heart. I'll get Chris to introduce the books. All right. Good morning. Have a seat, please. Well, I'm glad you're here. Aren't you glad to be here? Guess when your plans were made to be here. You say, oh, this week I decided to come. No, that's not right at all. Your plans to be here were made in eternity past. I'll prove it to you after a while. Isn't that something? In eternity past, before you were you, God picked up his pen and wrote in a book that you'd be sitting in that chair today. That's what the Bible says. I'll show it to you in a moment. Wow. Say purpose. Purpose. You have purpose because God has already destined your future. It's, It's really important. So before we get started today, we have with us Christopher Martin. Christopher works for us. He's been working with us for 10 years. Oh, Lord, he's a, he's a spiritual son, but he's much, much, much more than that. And so he's going to come tell you about some of the books that are at the book table. And so I want you to listen because God told me to write books. And I said, why? He said, because we need to educate the people of God. And I, I, we've got a book on uh, prayer. And we have a book on uh, uh, the prophetic. On each year at the Day of Atonement, we have a visitation from Jesus. He'll come tell me some of the things that are going to happen in the future. I write in a book called The Shepherd's Rod. And uh, he'll tell us about a conference we're going to have August the 31st where we take the 25 years of the Shepherd's Rods and, and compile them together, show where we prophesied something, show where it was fulfilled. See, God, if God's going to prophesy something, it'll come to pass. The words that go out of his mouth will not come back to him empty. It'll accomplish the purpose for which he sends it. Christopher, come on. This is Christopher Martin. All right. Come on, man. Thank you so much. So we, uh, we actually have these two books. We sold out of the Angels books. Uh, but like Bobby was saying, the Shepherd's Rod, for 25 years, and I, and I want to emphasize this, and I want you to listen to this for a second. Jesus Christ visits Bobby and shares with him some of the things that are coming in the future. One of the biggest things I hear, though, is, oh, do you have the latest shepherd's rod? In other words, oh, the other ones are no longer, you know, current. Well, let me tell you, they are. Go back and read them. There's so much information. You know, John 17, 6, Jesus talking to the Father, he said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you give me, and they have kept your word. When Bobby writes these books, he pours himself into these books. He listens to the Lord so that he can help you draw near to God. That's what the purpose of these books are. The other thing I want to encourage you to do is when you read the books, Bobby packs them, packs them full, just like he preaches with the Word of God. Don't merely just read the Word of God through the book. Have your Bible open. Go to those verses. Study those verses. I guarantee you, if you tell me you've read the Shepherd's Rod and you did it overnight, then I'll tell you, listen, you didn't spend very much time because it would take you a long time to go through those verses. I promise you. The other book is Audience with the King. You know, I'll be honest. It, it really breaks my heart when I, when I hear people say, oh, do I need that book? Or oh, one thing I've heard, actually, I've had intercessors come and say, mm, oh, I, I'm past that. Listen, wait a minute. If you feel you're past getting more knowledge about prayer and how to do that and what it means, listen, prayer is the most precious thing we have in the world. It is truly, like Bobby said, an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of all the universe you get to go before any time, day or night. What an honor and and, and a privilege that we have. So I want to encourage you, get these books, study these books, 
You know, like I said, Bobby's purpose in these books, he does not, he doesn't even, he barely likes to talk about them, to be honest with you. They're precious to him, but he doesn't try to push them or promote them or get you to go buy them. No, but I want to encourage you to buy them. The other bonus from getting a book is you get to go and have Bobby sign them. Now, that just seems, oh, hey, getting a signature. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Getting a signature from Bobby isn't just a signature. He's giving you a word and a verse and a one-on-one time with him. Even if it's for 30 seconds, that's a one-on-one time with a prophet of God. You don't get that opportunity. And I'll tell you something, you don't know if you'll ever get that opportunity again, to be real honest with you. So I want to encourage you, go to the book table and have Bobby sign these books. So it's my pleasure to welcome back Bobby. Thank you, Christopher. Good. Oh, Christopher, he keeps us... He keeps us straightened out in a lot of areas. Thank the Lord. I, I am so. I, I really do appreciate good help and faithful help. So a while ago, I told you that before you were you, God wrote down that you'd be sitting in Zion Church today. That's pretty strange. You say, where is that at in the Bible? It's Psalms 139, verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. And it's pretty wild. I like that. I'll just, I'll just read it just for a little bit. Uh, Psalms 139, starting with verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being formed in the secret place. I was intricately and curiously being put together. And look what it says in verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book all the days of my life were written before ever they took shape, when as there, as yet I had lived none of them. All the days of my life were recorded in your book before I've lived a single one of them. Wow. Is that what the Bible says? Did you see it? All the days of my life are written in his book before I've lived a single one of them. Wow. So that would have to be what? July the 21st? All of our days? I read in his book before we ever lived a single one of them. So God somewhere in eternity past picked up his pen and wrote that you'd be sitting in that chair. That is amazing, isn't it? That's purpose. God has a plan for you. Now, here's the deal. I think if we're going to be successful in life's journey, we need to make his journal become our journey, don't you think? Being in the place God has for us. Did you know, if you're not where you're supposed to be, there's no grace to be where you are. What? If you're not where you're supposed to be, there's no grace to be where you are. If you think I'm wrong, ask King David. Remember the scriptures? It says, when it came time for kings to go to battle, David tarried still in Jerusalem. See, he wasn't where he was supposed to be, so there was no grace to be where he was. You've studied the story, haven't you? Remember, he wasn't out leading the battle. He stayed in Jerusalem, and he gets up off of the couch. The first sign of not being in the right place is there's a discontentment. There's a lack of, uh, uh, and it says he was discontented. He got up off the couch, and he started walking on the roof of the palace. Remember that? And don't don't think it was an accident. Uh, David uh, knew how the palace was built. He knew the architecture of the palace. Now, what does he do in the Bible? This is all in the Bible. It says he, he was bored, wasn't, wasn't satisfied because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, so there's no grace to be where he is. He gets up and he's walking on the rooftop, and whoo, he looks over the balcony, and there's the hot tub. Remember down? There's Bathsheba down there in the hot tub. This is in the Bible. She's bathing herself, and, he, and it says this. He could have went, whoo, but he went, ooh. Wow, remember the story? He took her. She was another man's wife. Had intercourse with her. Got her pregnant. Wow. If you're not where you're supposed to be, there's no grace to be where you are. And it's going to bear bitter fruit the rest of your life. Boy, 
Pretty wild, isn't it? I, how do, have, have you ever read Acts chapter 2, verse 1? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says what? They were all in what? No. They were all in one place, in one accord. See, you better be where you're supposed to be to get what you're supposed to get. Now, why were they in that one place? Acts 2, 1 said they were all in one place, in one accord. I'll tell you why they're in that, that place. Because somebody had an ear to hear prophetic word Jesus said in a, a little conversation. He said, oh, go tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power. He was told, he told them where to go get in order to get what he was going to give. See, if you're not where you're supposed to be, what? No grace to be where you are. Now, how do you know where you're supposed to be? You're supposed to be where the Holy Spirit leads you. And that's pretty important, I think, don't you think? Well, I'll just do what I want to. Well, ask Jonah how that works out. <laughs> I guess Jonah's the, stubborn, the most stubborn man I've ever found in the Bible. Remember, God told him, go to Nineveh. He goes, no way. Three days in the belly of the whale, he goes, yes way. Yeah, remember that? Boy, boy, you talk about stubborn. After the first big gulp, I'd have been thinking about an itinerary change, wouldn't you? Good Lord. Have you read about Jonah? Said he was a sign to the Ninevites. Jonah was a sign. He didn't need a sermon. He was a sign. Can you imagine what he must have looked like three days in the belly of a whale? All the gastric juices have done. They ate all the hair off. He's bleached whiter. Than a, and this whale, you know, a man out of the will of God makes a fish sick. Isn't that something? This old whale pulled up on the bank and hurled him. Out flops old Jonah, and he's not a stitch of clothes on. All his hairs eat off. He's whiter than the bleach. Can you imagine what he must have? He's a sign to the Ninevites. Remember he hollered, repent, and they'll go, yeah! Yeah, that's okay. Can you imagine how stubborn that would be to be three days? And I'll tell you what, you can't outweigh God. You know what I mean? God's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. God's plans and purposes are really good. That verse I didn't read out of Psalms 139, verse uh, 118 says, God's thoughts towards us are weighty and precious. Wow. So God's plans, thoughts, plots are better for us than we could make for ourselves. Aren't you glad? I love Jeremiah 29, 11. God said, I know my thoughts, I think, towards you, declares the Lord. Thoughts of your success, not your failure. My intention is to bring you to a good end, not a dismal demise. Now, the devil has sold such a bill of goods to the, a lot of people till they say, well, I'm not going to give my life to God because I, I, I want to have a good time. The best time in the world is when you give your heart to Jesus. Uh, the world has nothing to compare with that. You understand that? Happiest people I know on earth, the happiest people I know on earth are people that are totally sold out to Jesus. I mean, they're totally, absolutely freaky happy. Yeah, see, the world, the, the world can't make you happy. It, but Jesus will. Psalm 16:11 says what? In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, I'm going to tell you the most miserable people on earth. You say, well, it's, it's the lost. Now, a lost person is miserable. There is no rest of the wicked, declares the Lord. He's like the troubled, members of that, like the troubled sea. But I'll tell you the most miserable people on earth. You ready? It's Christians trying to live lost. The Bible said a double-minded person is what? Unstable in all their ways. No, no, no continuity at all. Uh, so a Christian trying to live lost is the most miserable person on earth. Wow. How do we get rid of that? Psalms 51. 
Psalms 51, no other psalm in the Bible like it. Every other psalm in the Bible is poetic, but not Psalms 51. Psalms 51 is uh, David's heart over that sin we talked about, broken, contrite, and he's crying out to God, oh, create in me a clean heart, oh God, renew in me a right spirit. Wow. See, God can do that if we'll cry out to him. Have you studied the word cry? And they cried unto the Lord. We, we, we've got it kind of figured like this. And they cried to the Lord. <laughs> I dare you look up the Hebrew word they cried to the Lord. Here's what it means. Here's what it says. It means they screamed and screeched in anguish and agony. I don't see much screaming and screeching in anguish and agony in the church. Our problem is we're way too familiar with a God we barely know. But I got news. He's about to reintroduce himself. What? Yeah. He's about to reintroduce himself. You go, give me an example. Well, Revelation chapter 1. John the Revelator says he laid his head upon the bosom of Jesus Christ. You can't get any closer than that. He heard the rhythmic heartbeat of the Lamb of God. But now he's what? 96? 98? Theologians. 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 That sounds like something you suck on. A lozenge. You heard about the preacher. He, he, he was preaching on television. Boy, he didn't, didn't want to keep looking at his watch, but he figured out if he put a throat lozenge in his mouth, it could talk about 20, 28 minutes, and it would dissolve and be about time to close his program. So one day he popped one in, preach, 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 spit it out. It was a button. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Oh, look out now. But anyway, I, I want you to realize God's plans, God's purposes are bigger and better than you can make for yourself. Trust him, okay? Look what a mess you've made of your life. Let him take over. I love Psalms 55, 22. Casting all of your care on him because he cares for you. Can I give you a story about casting? Yes, yes, Bobby, you've got the mic. Go ahead. Uh, when, I, when, I, when I was growing up, I played football. I took out her one, two times a day for four years. And the only way I got out of school was football. So that, you know, it's, it's crazy. Football is a big thing in Texas. And so uh, they wouldn't expel me, and they wouldn't uh, uh, fail me because, uh, you know, anyway, I took algebra one two times a day for four years. So if you need anybody to help speak in your financial groups, I'm your man, you know. <laughs> algebra, you know, it's already, it's already twisted, algebra. Power square, that crazy power round, you know. Cornbread square, you know. So that's the, you're already limping when you get into that program, isn't you? But anyway... The football, good Lord. I don't want to talk about all that, but anyway. I, I want you to know, school got in my way of having fun. I got invited back to the school I graduated from. Did I tell you what my drama teacher wrote in the back of my annual? You know, they sign your annual? I guess. They do in Texas. They sign, they sign my annual. And here's what Miss Ellis, my drama teacher, wrote. So help me God. And if I hadn't been the kind of man I am, it would have messed me up. Here's what she wrote. It's your fault I had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> now, that could have warped a weaker fella. But the problem is, she's probably right. Can I tell you how, what, can I tell you what threw her threw across the edge? <laughs> it's Sunday morning, let's have fun. I, I'm from Texas, and uh, I went to school in Brownsboro High School. Whew! Anyway, that's what I got off on this. They invited me back to preach one at the 
40-something years. Most of the people that we went to school with were dead. They had all the dead people's pictures up on the wall. And so they invited me back to preach, and the whole, we're in the, whole, uh, the auditorium. And I go, look, most of our friends are not with us tonight. Wonder where they are. See, that kind of Cadillac got it down to two, two destinations, heaven and hell. You know, so pretty wild. Hey, good God, I thought I was at a nursing home. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. I'm 75. Holy Ghost keeps you rejuvenated. Keeps you full of power and strength. I can show it to you in the Bible how to stay rejuvenated. You can live as long as you want to. There's a verse in the Bible that teaches you can live as long as you want to. Or you can get old, swivel up like a pickle. Uh, but it's true. So let's get back to school. This is what throwed Miss Ellis overboard. You ready? I took drama in, school, in high school, honestly. I took drama just because all the girls were in there. It's the craziest thing, but so and they we had a lot of money, all money back in Texas at that time. So uh, the the all guys would give into the school's tax uh, deduction, and they built a brand new auditorium there. I mean, top of the line, looks like something like from Hollywood. I mean, they built all of these chairs out here and and slanted up like this, and had these big old curtains up here, and they were automated. You know, you mash your button, and these curtains would come out. And so here's drama. And this is the drama class. Miss Ellis, she's about the size of my little finger. A little kind of a twitchy kind of little gal. And so she'd be on the platform, and she would say, project, project. <laughs> Good Lord. And so it was just kind of boring. And that's all she would say. The only line I ever learned was, who's who, Boutte? You know, that was my only line. I still remember it after 40-something years. Who's who, Boutte? I don't have a clue what it means, but anyway. <laughs> project, project. And I got to thinking one day. I go, well, I can't say exactly what I said, but something like, shucks. <laughs> this ain't drama. I'm going to show them some drama. I'd watched a program on TV about packing parachutes. When you can jump out and it, it don't tangle up in a knot, it unfurls. So there's the, the, these, the, the things are maybe 15 feet taller than this thing where the curtains are. So I noticed a catwalk. You could climb up there in case the automated, automated things didn't work and you could pull the curtains manually. So I climbed up. I climbed up there. And here's Miss Ellis and the girls. Project. I said, I'm fixing to give them some drama. I climbed up there, and I took the ropes and the things that pulled the curtains, and I packed it like the parachute. Have you ever made a plan, and it worked better than you thought? <laughs> I packed all of this on my shoulder. Now, listen, this is what threw her across the edge. And I came running as fast as I could up there, 40 feet off the ground, running, and I leaped off of the catwalk. And see, I'm holding myself up. I've got all the, the curtains and the ropes here, and it's just kind of pulling out like a parachute. And I swing out. I, I, I said something like Geronimo or some crazy thing. And I jumped out like this. And have, have you ever been into something and it's live and it's action and it's a lot better than you thought? I'm going out across all these seats, and it's, I'm not falling. I'm falling, but I'm, I'm secure. I get to the end of this thing, and I'll wheel back like this, and so help me, I, I land on my feet, and I run across the platform. Looked like Peter Pan. <laughs> if I'd had spandex, I'd have probably been in the movie. It was, so that's what happened. Uh, that, that was what got her. She goes nuts. 
She starts screaming till she's purple. I, you know, I, I'm not going to hurt you. She just goes, screams till she's hoarse, carries me to the principal's office. The principal at the Brownsboro High School was H.H. H. Riley. He looked like an undertaker. And he wore big old black rim glasses and had a burr haircut. Looked like a mad marine. And he, he, he didn't sit at his desk. He lurched over it. So Miss Ellis brings me in there. And here's, here's the conversation. There's Mr. Riley there. And Miss Ellis is going, uh, he, he, uh, he, 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 he endangered the whole class. I said, well, I can't say again what I said, but like, heck, I'm the only guy in danger. I'm the guy 40 feet off the ground. But she screams, and finally Mr. Riley put her out in the hall. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm just being honest with you this morning. Mr. Riley, remember, I was a good football player. It's Friday night's coming. So Mr. Riley, he's sitting at his desk, and he had that deep voice. He said, Bobby, ah, we're not going to expel you. I go, you know, Friday night was coming. And I said, oh, I'm so thankful. I had read one of them dumb, idiotical reverse psychology books where you can impress your will. You can, you know, have you ever heard, you heard of them? So I thought to myself while I'm in Mr. Riley's office, this will be a good time to do that. So Mr. Riley's sitting there and he goes, Bobby, oh, I got to do something. I'm not going to expel you. And I sure couldn't take nothing off my grades. You know what I mean? F for fantastic is as low as you can get. You know, F, that's what I had. I went from D, delightful, to F, fantastic, just like that. Every course. But anyway, so I said, I appreciate you not uh, expelling me. And here's where I pulled my psychology book. Here's what I told him. I said, uh, Mr. Mr. Riley, let me analyze this. If I was you and had to pass punishment on me for what I've done, here's what I would do. Now, this is where the psychology is supposed to work. I said, I would give me corporal punishment. That's when they could whip you. And, you know, that's when it's supposed to work like this. He sees my remorse. And says, oh, Bobby, I understand now that you already understand that, you know, that wasn't what happened. <laughs> Here's what did happen. I said, oh, I see. If I was you and you had, I'd give me corporal punishment. He said, that's a brilliant idea. Take everything out of your pockets and bend over this desk. See, I don't remember a whole bunch of things happened at Brownsboro High School that year. I remember that day. I got 17 of the hardest licks you've ever had in your life with a piece of ply board this long, this wide, with handholds cut in it and holes to, whoo, lit me up, man. Woo. Yeah. But, yeah. I didn't, when I graduated, I, they had to mail me my diploma. I was incarcerated the night we had graduation. But, yeah. Isn't that crazy? I got in trouble in school. I stole a whole, well, Y'all want to hear one more delinquent story? Here, here it is. Friday night after the football game in these little towns, you've got to do something to entertain yourself. You understand that? Now, in Texas, when I was growing up, everybody had chickens. That's a foul thing. Everybody had chickens, yard full of chickens. Now, chickens are idiots. They go to sleep with a head under their wing like a lot of Christians. They don't keep aware alert. You understand that? They're asleep in a tree with a head under their wing. 
So here's what I did. Well, I decided, me and the football boys, after, after football game one Friday night, we were bored, and I came up with this harebrained, stupid idea. Let's steal some chickens! So we got toe sacks. You know what toe sacks are? Big old feed sacks. And you go up to the, the, the tree and just grab them out and stick them. You know, that's fun if you're just crazy. So we stole a whole truckload of chickens. We're driving around town. We got, I don't know, several hundred chickens back in the truck. And I thought, what are we going to do with these chickens? You know, it's about to get daylight. Late, early Saturday morning or late Friday night, whichever way you look at daylight. And then it hit me. Let's put them in the school. Now, I'm not going to take all the blame for that. You would have thought they'd have locked up the school. Don't you think? I go to the front door of Brownsboro High School. It's locked. I thought, okay. I go to the side door. It's locked. I go to the study course, the, the library room, and that, it's like butter. So we dumped a whole pickup load of stolen chickens in the Brownsboro High School. On late Friday night. They stayed there all day Saturday. All day Sunday. And then here comes Monday. Now let me give you some advice. If you were ever guilty of throwing a truckload of chickens in school, vacuum your truck. You know what I mean? Oh, they caught us just like that. And I'll tell you what we did for four months. You want to know? We did our football practice, the two hours football practice, and then the whole football team scrubbed the school. They put some stinking chemical in something and gave us things smaller than a toothbrush. We scrubbed places chickens hadn't even been. But, you know, see, that's what happened when you're an idiot. Just, yeah. I could tell you some other stories. I blew up the science lab, but that's another story. You didn't come to hear about my delinquency, but I want to tell you what. If God will use me, you got a shot. You know what I mean? Really, it's crazy, crazy. Uh, that's good. You say, how'd you blow up the science lab? Well, it was something. Our, our science teacher was Mr. Guatney. Mr. Guatney, hey. And other than, so Mr. Guatney, he was a science teacher, and you never saw his face. He's always writing. <laughs> so he, he's talking, writing on the board with his rear out. <laughs> I got to thinking, this is boring. So they'd given us a big lab, uh, give us a big uh, aquarium, about half the size of this thing right there. Remember, we got a bunch of money. So they had to spend the money. So they bought the science lab a big aquarium. Now, in Texas, you, can, you could drop uh, electricity in the water and, and electrify the fish, and they'd come to the top, and you could catch them. So I'm sitting there while Mr. Watney is doing this, power, the, the, you know. Anyway, so I thought, this is boring. I thought, if you can crank up fish out of the river, I can crank them up out of this aquarium. Do you see it? <laughs> So I took me a, an extension cord. And Mr. Guad, he, he, you know, you could have been doing anything. He's back there watching them. And so I cut the extension cord. I pulled the wires out about 18 inches apiece. And I dropped them over in the aquarium. And here I am. 
I plugged them in. You know these musicians, they talk about vibration. <laughs> I had some vibration going on. <laughs> and the glass shattered called A lot of fish went on to glory. It was it was a it was a mess, man. Oh goodness. That, that, I, they finally graduated me. Now, let me, that, that doesn't have a thing to do with where we're going now. <laughs> I want to talk to you this morning with each one of us on what to do when you don't know what to do. And then also what to do when you don't want to do nothing. You want people to leave you alone. And so I'm going to talk about those two things for the remainder of our time. You want to? What to do when you don't know what to do. Now, you might be here so pious and so misguided till you go, well, preacher, I always know what I'm going to do. Well, I'll prove to you that ain't right in this message. You ready? So here we go. Second Chronicles 20, Second Chronicles chapter 20, starting with verse 1, it tells about a king, a king named Jehoshaphat. And it tells us that word comes to the king that a whole bunch of enemy armies have gathered together in a coalition to come against Jehoshaphat and Jerusalem and Judea and the people of God. And here's what it says. Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says, They tell the king, there is, there's a great multitude coming up against us. And here's what it says. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. It says, There's a great multitude coming up against us, and we don't know what to do. Wow. Now, can you put yourself in that place? Here's the king, here's the people of God, and here's all these alien armies, a bunch of mean, vicious, coming together as a coalition to overtake them. Now, I think Jehoshaphat does something I believe is genius. Uh, it says over there, when Jehoshaphat got the word that they were coming, it says in verse 2, he called a great assembly to come together for prayer. He called all the people, and he called the women, the warriors, and it says, and the children, and even those that nurse the breast. Why? Because what they're facing is going to cover every segment of society. And so he calls them all together, and then here's the part I think is genius. Verse 4, Jehoshaphat, in the middle of all of this chaos, he stands before the people of God, and he begins to rehearse back to the people how faithful God had been in the past. Here's what he says. Oh, Lord God, are you not the God that drove out our enemies? Oh, Lord God. And he began to rehearse in the hearing of the people how faithful God had been in the past to give them faith for the future. And that's, that's genius, isn't it? And so anyway, anybody could have said, oh, we're in a bunch of trouble. Look. But that's not what he said. He began to tell the people how faithful God had been in the past. And so they're desperate. They, they begin to assemble together, pray and fast and seek the Lord. And it says there, as they're all seeking God, fasting and praying, it says the Spirit of God fell upon the prophet. And the prophet rises up and says, this is right after 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 12. They've said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are up on you. Do you believe that's what we need to do is focus on God when we get in trouble? It really is. Isaiah, what, 26, 3? Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. It says, Trust in the Lord Jehovah, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting, never failing peace. So they put their faith and their focus on the Lord. And then it said, The Spirit of God falls upon the prophet. Now, if I'd have been in that group, have you heard what the prophet said to them? The prophet says something that's absolutely out of this world. He said, Yep, they're coming. These armies are coming. They're coming up through the cliffs of Zen. They said, go out and engage them, but don't send the soldiers. 
Send the singers. Study the annals of history. There's never been a war fought like that. Never, never. This is a brand new thing. If I'd have been there, I'd raise my hand and I'd go second opinion. Wouldn't you? Because this thing's already for all the marbles. Whoever wins takes everything. And here's the prophet saying to them, God's plan is for you to go get them, but send out the singers first. Whoa. And then here's that famous verse. All of you know it. 2 Chronicles 20, 20. 2 Chronicles 20, 20 says, Trust the Lord. You will be established. Believe his prophets and you'll prosper. 2 Chronicles 20, 20. Trust the Lord. You'll be established. Believe his prophets and you'll prosper. The Hebrew word prosper there means live at God's highest pointed level for your life. And so the, the king is just simply saying, we're going to do what the prophet said. We're going to send out the singers. Here they go. Our God is an awesome God. Some sort of like that. The singers out against the soldiers. Now, I don't understand it. You don't understand it. Other theologians don't understand it. It says, as the people of God went out obeying God, singing praises unto God, it says, God set an ambushment. And it says that these alien evil armies jerked out their swords, went nuts, kill one another, and then kill themselves. God's people never broke a sweat. Our God is an awesome. And the enemy wiped themselves out. Killed every living last one of them. And there's all, it, it says in your Bible, it took the people of God three days to pick up the Rolexes, to get the key to the Hummer, <laughs> to pick up all the spoils. See, what I'm trying to say is what to do when you don't know what to do. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Put your focus on God. Cry out, get as many people as you can praying with you over the same theme. If one can chase a thousand, two can chase what? Tens of thousands. God's math really does multiply. So, okay, what to do when you don't know what to do? And see, it worked out, didn't it? Say yes. Okay, now, a while ago I said, now, there's some of you might be here and say, well, brother, listen, I have this kind of intellectual thing and I always know what I'm going to do. Well, I told you last night you're an idiot. I'll prove to you from your Bible. That God himself will set up a circumstance that's a way beyond your pay grade. You want to see it? Yes, Bobby, I do. I want to show it to you. <laughs> Psalms 107. Psalms 107, verse 23. Here's what it says. These men that do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord. Because he raises up the stormy winds. The stormy winds lifts up the sea, lifts up the waves as high as the heavens. It drops the waves down as low as the depths. It says the seasoned sailors. Can you see them? They're not sissy. They're, can, if you could look at them, their arms are rippled and, because they pull strong ropes. They hoist sails. Their skin is brown and weathered. Can't you see them? These are strong men. But the storm is bad. It's picked the boat up. It's dropped it down. And it says this. They stagger to and fro. They are like drunken men. And then here's the little phrase. You ready? They are at their wit's end. That's what it says in your Bible. They're at their wit's end. Have you ever been there? I promise you it's a journey every one of us have to take. Now, here's the key. Who started the storm? 
These men that see do business in great waters, they see the works of the Lord. Because he does what? Raised up the storm. Now, he was, not, he was not trying to hurt the boys, but help them. To show them how desperately they need him. The next verse says, as they stagger to and fro, they're at their wit's end. Then, T-H-E-N, then they cried unto the Lord in their distress. They screamed in what? Anguish and agony to the Lord in the middle of their big problems. And it says, God, still the storm. Wow. And brought them into their quiet haven. Then the next verse says, oh, that people would praise God for his goodness. Instead of going, well, look, we settled that, didn't we, boys? No, the only reason they got there was because of the goodness of God. Aren't you glad he'll meet you in the middle of your mess? Aren't you glad there's no problem takes us, but God can settle it? He can settle anything, can't he? He really can. Wow. we got to realize he can handle it. Now, there's some things come in our life we can't handle. The burden's too heavy. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know how people are finding some relief now? Anxiety pills. You shouldn't have to do that. The peace of God will come into your heart. The tranquility of God. There's, the word tranquility of soul is mentioned one time in the Bible. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says, Maintain an attitude of gratitude. If you will do that, have an attitude of gratitude. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your heart. That's the only place it says in the, it says in the Greek, the tranquility of soul. People look for that, don't they? Oh, they get into all kind of mess looking for peace. And Jesus is the prince of what? Peace. You get him. Aren't you glad he's full of peace? Oh, man, did you read, you, you read there in Mark chapter 4, you, you, Jesus said to the boys, get in the boat, we're going to the other side, remember the story? And the boys before they were disciples were what? Most of them were what? Fishermen. They, you, you, they were used to the winds, the waves. Don't you like the gospel of Mark? I do. It's my, it's my, personally, it's my favorite gospel in the gospels because it's the gospel of action. Every gospel presents Jesus in a different genre. Mark is action. Most repetitive word in the gospel of Mark is immediately and straightway. I like that, don't you? I get so excited I could thread a sewing machine, it running, you know. See, that's, you understand that, don't you? Yeah, God bless you. You doing good? Yeah, good. Anyway, so you know, we ought to think about that just for a little bit. But remember the boat that the disciples were in? Jesus went to sleep. It says in my Bible, on a leather cushion. He's asleep because he knows who he is. And a big storm comes up. This little ship is, and the disciples do what? They're paranoid. They're screaming at Jesus. Jesus, Master, get up. Don't you care that we're going to perish? Now, I'm so glad Jesus didn't get up and go, ah! <laughs> now, I don't like the King James in this part. The King James says that Jesus gets up and stands at the, back, the front of the boat and says to the raging storm, peace be still. <laughs> if you're reading this in the Greek, that ain't how, what it says. If you're reading it in the Greek, it is drama. I mean, the, the disciples are torqued out. Ah! And here we go. 
Jesus gets up and he doesn't say, peace be still. Guess what he does say to the raging storm and the wind? Shut your mouth and lay down. The, the, the Greek says, get gagged and lay down. And here's what happened. When he said that to the storm, it goes, and God is tranquil as glass. Look at the disciples. They were horrified of the storm. Now they're petrified of who's in their boat. <laughs> what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Wow. That's pretty wild, isn't it? So what to do when you don't know what to do? Uh, put your focus on God. What to do when you're at your wit's end? Cry out to God and listen to what he has to say and watch his help come. He's a very present help. Aren't you glad? I'm glad you never call on God and he goes, I'm sorry, the line's busy. Could you hold? I don't like these automated phone calls. Do you? Now, I don't want to be ethically wrong or whatever you call it, but uh, here's what happened to me. I've had the highest level of the American Express card, you know. So one time I had a question about my bill on my American Express card. American Express card. So I called services on the American Express card. <laughs> ring, ring. Alalamala. Hello? Alalamala. Is this American Express? Yeah, I'm off. I got some dude in India. I didn't call Indian Express. I called American Express. The only word I understood from this brother was David. I said, what's your name? He said, David. Couldn't understand. Hey, I, four or five words came to my mind, and none of them were doing church. <laughs> Couldn't understand a single word he said. Now, so, you know, and I understand that reason they got a lot of jobs is we're too lazy to do them. But I want American Express, don't you? And I don't like when you're on an automated thing. If you want to punch, I want to punch something, but not the, you know. I want somebody that you can talk to. Don't you? I scared the hair off of a guy. I got me, you know, I use Apple computer stuff. And Chris does all the Apple stuff for me now. But I had Apple service or whatever you call it, you know. And so I was having a computer problem before we had Chris. And I said, uh, I called my Apple service, and it's ringing. And I, I said to God, I'm sitting in my office, I said to God, God, would you tune me in to who this is so I can say something to him prophetically that'll talk to him about how good you are? And just as soon as I said it, I'm waiting in the phone to ring, I see a guy sitting in a basement with an office and a sliding glass window there looking out over a cornfield in Iowa. So I thought, good Lord, I wanted something about technical stuff. And so the guy picks it up and he says, this is Frank or something at Apple Care. This, how can I help you? I said, well, uh, uh, I hope you don't think I'm real crazy, but uh, sometimes God will show me things. I said, uh, uh, or by any chance, are you sitting in a basement in Iowa looking out across the cornfield? And I won't say exactly what this professional said, but something like, ship! <laughs> he said, what? He said, you're not going to believe this. 
He said, this is the first day. He said, when you called, I was, I was sitting here and I was thinking, what a fortunate man I am. His company had let him move back to his house and move his office there. And he said, I'm, he said, I was just sitting here when your call came in thinking what a fortunate man I am to be able to be sitting here in my basement and my family up here. And I'm looking out across the cornfield in Iowa that my grandfather had planted. And he was think, thinking, just thinking how fortunate he was that his company let him move the office to the house. And then here's this redneck going, you know, hey, you know, I got, I had his attention. Well, I thought uh, he'd have made my next newsletter for me, you know. You know, pretty crazy, isn't it? Don't you like stuff like that? Now, you know, you go, well, God don't do Yeah, God will use that, use that away. God, God knows everything. And he, he'll share his secrets with you. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But anyway, I can, I can get in trouble not even trying to. Did I tell you when I went to sleep in the airport and a witch woke me up growling? On her all fours looked like, a, looked like well, anyway. Look like a witch on all fours. Ah! Now, you don't wake me up like that. So I go, like that. And it knocked her up in there. She goes up in there and falls down. Click! Here comes the guys in the little cart with a. I said, that won't help her. You know what I mean? But isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's a dumb devil send a witch to church. I was out preaching in a meeting. And in comes a whole coven of witches. Marched into the meeting. House full of people. There they marched in. God said, you see them? I go, yeah. He said, you know who they are? I said, yeah. He said, I want you to go over there and challenge them. I said, this is going to mess up the whole meeting. So I walked over there to them. I said, what are you doing here? They said, we're here to break up this meeting. I said, you can't break up this meeting. This is a Holy Ghost meeting. I said, do what you're going to do to break up this meeting. So she's throwing her curses. Might as well have been a BB gun shooting elephant. So I said, are you through? And I, I said, you through? And the Lord said, just do like this. Don't do like that. Just do like this. So I did like this. It knocked her up in there about, I don't know, uh, about as high as the top of that flag. What's that? Eight feet? Knocked her up in there like this. Blam! She falls down. Her eyes roll in the back of her head. She's screaming like a pig. You're about to slice. So I said to her, her COVID, look, this is your leader. She threw her curses on me. I'm still standing. She's rolling the floor, squealing like a pig. I said, you're going to follow that? Now, these people, are there. they're like a 3D movie, you know. <laughs> but see, it's crazy now. They're gathering her up trying to get her out the door, you know, because she's freaked, you know. And so anyway, I get back up here to tend to stuff. And as one of them was going out, I wheeled around and screamed at her. I called her name. I said, Sarah! God is, going to, God is going to set you free from the web that you've tangled yourself within. She screams and runs out. That was her name. Two days later, Sarah comes to the same meeting. She's whiter than a sheet. So I said to her, where have you been? I answered my question. I said, you went to one of your COVID members' uh, funeral. He took a 357 and shot the back of his head off. But Sarah got delivered from the web she had put herself in. I'll tell you about the devil in Harry Potter. Uh, it's a sad thing. The most read book among children is Harry Potter in America. Did you read the Bible? The Bible said, I don't even suffer a witch to live. Well, let her own put them in the 500 club. I'm telling you guys, the devil would if he could kill every one of us in this room today. But he cannot harm a hair of our head because we belong to Jesus. 
Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against us works. Romans 8, 37 said, yet amid all these things, all of these things, everything the devil can throw at you, we're super victorious. We're hooper Nike had to come up with a new word, didn't he? Super overcomers. But anyway, you say, well, yeah. no, no, listen. We're not going to build a church where demons are comfortable. We're going to build a church so full of the power and the presence of God, when they walk in, they manifest. We had a team called SWAT, Spiritual Warriors and Ministering Truth. That's true. So when one manifested, instead of tearing up the meeting for a thousand people, we carry them to a room, get them delivered. Oh, that's quite a deal, boy. You, you, read, you read that, didn't you? Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointing me to set the captives free. That happened to me the other day in Germany, Mannheim, Germany, in a Russian church. And a, a good Lord, a big explosion like a 4th of July. Boom, and an angel came walking out of that smoke and flares and walked right up to me and took a sword out and goes, shoosh, pushed his sword out and took his finger and did like that. And he had Isaiah 61, verse 1. That verse says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to set the captives free. I said, Lord, what's this about? He said, I want you to announce to the church I'm releasing a spirit of anointing to set captives free. I said it in that church. I bet you 400 people ran forward and got delivered. In Mannheim, Germany, in a, in a Russian church. Isn't that wild? You go, well, now I don't want no conflict. Get out of church. <laughs> There's going to be a conflict. You believe it? See, we've got to take back what Adam gave away. We've got to take back what Adam gave away. You ought to get in the book of Jude and study it. That's where we are. Shouldn't take very long, just one page. <laughs> yeah, the book of Jude. Have you ever read it? He said, I picked up my pen. I was going to write to you concerning the common salvation, but I found it needful to write to you that you'd earnestly contend for the faith. If you look that up, here's what it says. I picked up my pen. I was going to write to you concerning the uh, rudimentary principles of salvation, but I got possessed. I was under compulsion to write unto you that you'd earnestly fight for the faith. Why should we fight for the faith? It says certain men are crippy and unawares teaching. It doesn't matter how you believe. It does matter how you believe, doesn't it? It does. What do you do? What? A medical center? Oh, man. I've had some good experiences. One guy called me while I was trying to eat at a pizza place. Said, can you come to the hospital? I said, Why? He said, I'll tell you when you get here. A guy died, and this doctor knew that we could raise the dead. So we go into there, and there's a guy in the, in the hospital dead. Handsome guy, looks like he could have been just cute, cute as he could be. His head's laid back like that, and the doctor said, we've done all we can do, and he's dead. And I said, well, let's see what God will do. And God resurrected the kid from the dead. He, he joined our church. He, he sat in the church in where Rod and Bridget was for years. Uh, yeah, isn't that something? God raised him from the dead. And the doctor had enough sense to call, isn't that something? Finally, they, the, uh, he figured out he could raise the dead too. So guess what happened? They called him into the main office one time and said, we want to know something. People are dying like flies on uh, shifts, but not on yours. He said, what's going on? He said, you really want to know? And he, you know, there's just people can't hardly con have any concept of the supernatural. God raised my mother from the dead twice. There is an acceleration of raising from the dead. Y'all had David Hogan. Have you had him here? Uh, he, he got my hotel confirmation for this meeting. He texts me while I'm in, in uh, Houston, and he said, what is this? I've got your, uh, that was in Dublin, it was, uh, in, in, in the Fairfield, isn't that crazy? 
And it was old Hogan. He said, what do you think that means? He said, I'm supposed to pay for your hotel bill. I said, no, probably that you ought to come up here and be with us. Yeah. I'll tell you, a wild meeting with Hogan. You don't hear about it? Any meeting with Hogan's wild. Whew, they've had over 500 people raised from the dead. Some decapitated. What? Yeah. But here's what happened. We're down there in the tip end of Texas, me and David. People came by the thousands because they thought they was going to get prayer. We're in the green room, me and David. Now, the green room's never green. I don't know. But it's a room back there where there's some chip and dip and, you know, sandwich and some coffee or something like that. So we're back there. And the Lord said, I have a word for you and David. I said, God, I'll do anything you ask me to do. He said, i got a word, and I intend for you all to do I said, I'll do anything you ask me to do. He said, okay, you go over there to Hogan and say to him, hey, David, me and you are not a min- we're not ministering tonight. Your little granddaughter is. His eyes got big. He said, Bobby, that's going to be really something. The only granddaughter I have with me tonight is a three-year-old little Indian girl. I said, that's her. Now, all these thousands of people had come because they figured they were going to get ministered to. Hogan put the little three-year-old Indian girl on his arm, walking through the crowd, people standing by the throngs, and the little Indian girl, she looked like this. And every human being she pointed at got healed. Blind people, cancers, every human being the little girl pointed at got healed. Three-year-old little Indian girl. Wow. A couple of months later, me and David were ministering. I said, the problem is you didn't bring your granddaughter. <laughs> now, see, a little three-year-old, can't, they, they can't, you, know, you under, understand how supernatural that is, don't you? Yeah. yeah. I like stuff like that that's unexplainable. Yeah. Well, you know, I want to be able to, I want to understand it. I've been preaching 50 years this year. I've averaged speaking five times a week for 50 years. Here's what I figured out. I figured out if you can figure it out, it ain't God. If we can wrap our little head around and go, yes, hallelujah, I see that. No, the natural mind receives not the things of the Spirit. It's foolishness to you. Neither can you know it. It must be spiritually discerned. Isn't that right? Well, sure. That's good. I'm talking golf language to my golf partner there. We've never hit a ball yet. But I've swung every time I've been up here. I've swung a club with him, you know. Yeah. I like Golf. I like anything that's kind of competitive. You know these coaches, bless their heart, they get up and say, nah, it doesn't matter whether we win or lose. What? <laughs> Don't ever get into anything not to win. <laughs> Am I the only one who feels that way? I used to ride bulls. <laughs> Got knocked out and heard Conway Twitty singing. Woo! Yeah. You ever been on a bull? It's exhilarating. Yeah, it's crazy. Texas bull ride. You're sitting there like this and you're on a bull and he's snorting and breathing stuff running out of his nose and other places. And there's some idiot at the gate with a mouthful of tobacco and he goes, You ready? You go, Yeah! You ain't ready. That gate swings open. It is explosive. Yeah. Yeah, that's a long eight seconds. But when I got knocked out, the the, the bull threw me forward, hit me in the head, and knocked me out. Heard Conway Twitty singing. (laughs) Getting, y'all heard of the bear story when the bear whipped me. 
Oh, Lord. That's awful. It's, it, I just can't. Bill Johnson made it famous, but anyway, I could knock a horse out with one punch. Yeah, they put me in the pen for that now, but uh, that's how I got famous. I could knock a horse out with one punch. Yeah, I could pick up the front end of a Chevy 2 car. Yeah, why go to a gym when you can knock a horse out and pick up a car? <laughs> and so they brought the tough man contest around to, to town. It's an, a, a Russian bear in the back of a school bus. And they built a ring down there. At the, it's, it's awful. Built a ring down there at the baseball stadiums, which baseball field really, just maybe 500 bleachers and a bunch of lights up there. So the guy that had the bear, it was for money. So the guy that owned the bear said, now, if you try to hurt him, he'll hurt you. If you play with him, he'll play with you. I told my gang of red rats, I said, bet big. It won't take us but one lick, and we'll have the money and be down at the club. Uh, you know, I wasn't talking about tithing. I wasn't a believer then. <laughs> we'll have the money, and we'll be down at the club. All the little ladies in town bet money out of their pension. You know, the little ladies, well, he can knock a horse out and pick up a truck. See, they'd bet money on me. So my guy said, uh, how's this going to go? I said, when the bell rings, I'm going to step out in the middle of the ring. I'm going to hit this bear in the head, and I'm knocking him out. I said, gather up the winnings. We'll be out of here. Ding! Round one. Ding! <laughs> Old bear's kind of fat and grumpy looking. And so he's a little late getting off his bucket, and he comes waddling out there to the middle ring, and I whacked him. Oh, Lord. I knocked out. Hundreds of horses, maybe more than that, with one punch. I whacked this bear. Wham! He was supposed to have collapsed. That ain't what he did. When I hit him, he goes, just like that, like, oh, that's the, and he goes, goes like this, wham! And hit me right there. Knocked me almost out of the ring. The lights are spinning. I'm about to puke. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, you know it, it hurt. If it hit him here, it knocked me out, but it hit me in the neck. And so they drug me back to my bucket. The whole lights are still spinning. And my gang goes, what happened? I go, I don't know. But see, I told him, I know what's fixing to happen. Next round, I'm going to hit him with my shoulder. And I'm going to pick him up. And I'm stuffing him. So I could pick up the front end of a Chevy 2. So, ding. They even talk about that visualization. You know, if you'll see it, you can do it. Mm. So I told him, well, I'll hit him in the chest and I'll pick him up. Boy, I hit him with everything I had. Just, I mean, hard. Wham! He's as stable as a giant rock. Like that, he grabbed me, jerked me up off the ground and goes, squeezed every ounce of air out of me. <laughs> then he threw me down on the canvas, squatted over me, and rubbed his butt right in my face. <laughs> in front of the whole town! Lost everybody's money. Even the little old ladies are hissing. <laughs> Crazy. That baseball field is still there. I told my boys, I said, we ought to destroy that thing, you know, just 
bless their heart. See, now you couldn't do stuff like that now. We used to do cage fighting before it was before they had rules. Yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, what do you do? Printing company. Is you doing good with it? What kind of printing do you do? Anything like that? Okay. Well, good. Wonder what God's going to talk to you about. Do you know? Here's what He wants you to do. He said. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. And do it as unto the Lord. And you get Psalms 90, verse 16 and verse 17. Oh, Lord, let your works be revealed and bless the works of our hands. Okay? One translation says, God, show me what you can do so I'll know what I can do. Psalms 90, verse 16 and 17. He's going to bless the works of your hands. That's a good thing. What do you do? Oh, a designer of what? What kind of product? Okay. How old are you? 30. 30 years old. That's priesthood years. That's true. So I would suggest Matthew 6, 33 for you. But seek ye first his kingdom and everything else will fall into place. You give him your ability, he'll give you his anointing. Okay? That's really good. You can come up with some ideas. Here's somebody's going to get these virtual reality goggles, and they're going to take the mechanics of the Avatar movie, and they're going to take the Bible stories and animate it, and it'll be, the be it'll be better than any seminary you've ever had in your life. It'll train the young champions just like that. Virtual reality, take the mechanics of the Avatar movie, take the stories in the Bible and animate them. It'll be like Ford was to the car. So that's good. Oh, well. Hello. 47. I'm 70. I'll be 76 in November. Yeah. Well, God bless you. I mean that. I mean that. I want his face to shine upon you. Okay? When we put our face to his face, it changes our countenance. You believe that? So they looked unto him and they were faces were enlightened. Look out. Now I got some artwork on him. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Let me see that arm. You could have written a book. There's a lion. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so sad at the church. It goes, meow. We're supposed to be bold as a lion. We're going, meow. Proverbs 28, 1. The righteous will be as bold as a lion. The wicked's running. Nobody's even chasing. So what do you do? I'm a residential. A what? A drug counselor. A drug counselor. Oh, help them. I got into that mess so deep. It was awful. I had a pistol. I was supposed to shoot a guy in the head twice. Twice and put him in the trunk of a car and throw him in the bow. And God works in so many strange ways. I'm sitting in a place stoned out of my head, man. And in a house like you couldn't imagine, actually. And down the end of the hall was a big old grandfather clock. I'm sitting there. A guy's supposed to come. And he's supposed to, I'm supposed to shoot him twice in the head. And I'm sitting there. And, oh, Lord. I, my mama used to carry me to church when I was little. And I'd lay in her lap in a Baptist church in Murkison, Texas. And I was just a kid. And they had a clock up on the wall. And it would click like that. I'm sitting in this drug place, and I'm supposed to kill a man in just a, a little bit. And uh, the clock down at the end of the hall is clicking. And for a second, I thought, oh, if I could turn back time and be that little boy laying in my mother's lap. But then I heard the pickup drive up to the house. I took the gun, cocked it, put it right back there in my pants. I go to the door. I open the door, and so help me God. There stands the guy that I'm supposed to shoot twice in the head, and he looked just like my best friend's daddy. You just can't shoot your best friend's daddy in the head. 
We come in and sit down at a table. Son's not up. He came after money or drugs, and neither one of them are there. And I disobeyed what I was supposed to do. And this old druggie there, he'd smoked till his fingers were yellow. And he's sitting there at a table with me. We're drinking well anyway. And he reaches across the table and punches me in the jaw. Not hard. Just punched me in the jaw like that. And here's what he said. He, he said, what are you doing in a life like this? He said, you don't want to wind up like me. Why don't you go home? It never dawned on me I could go home. So I left Houston, Texas, went back to my home. My brother and my sister tied me in bed. I begged my brother to shoot me in the head. They tied me in bed with bed sheets for weeks and bathed me off with alcohol and ice. It felt like my hair would be on fire. I'd beg my brother to shoot me. Then one day I woke up and I was hungry. And uh, I'd gone through all the withdrawals tied in bed. And my mother was ironing my blue jeans, crying. Big old tears would run down her eyes and fall on the pants leg and the iron would go across to me. And I, I said to Mama, I said, Mama, what are you crying for? She said, Bobby, please don't go to town. I was going to go to town the first time I'd gone since I'd been there. And I said, I popped her on the arm. I said, oh, Mama, don't worry about me. I've kicked it. I've kicked it. You can't kick it by yourself. It's a pit so deep you can't get out by yourself. It's a horrible pit in the miry clay. Psalms 40 said, I waited patiently upon the Lord. He inclined unto me. He heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a solid rock. He established my goings. He put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust the Lord. You can't get out of the horrible pit by yourself. So my mama was crying, and I said, oh, I, I've kicked it. I get in my car, drive to town. So help me God. I wasn't, I wasn't in town 15 minutes. I was back behind the B&B cafe with a needle in my arm. The next time I see my mother, I'm in the, the bullpen in jail. And my mother walks up to the bars there. And there she is. She's given her whole life trying to, trying to help us. And she said to me, can't you ever change? And I said to her, no, no, I can't. And uh, that's... Uh, that's that's what happened. But then one night with a double barrel shotgun up the roof of my mouth, I'm one click of my thumb away from hell. And uh, a church was praying for me. Uh, the demons filled the whole car screaming, do it, do it now. And uh, all of a sudden I started shaking like a leaf. I wasn't afraid of nobody. I put the gun on safety through the back seat of the car, drove back to a Baptist church in Murkison, Texas. I'm sitting out under a tree as miserable as a human being could be. And I said, Jesus, if you could, would you change my life? And he stepped into my life. I opened that door that night. I ran in, and there was a, a pastor. I would have killed him with my fist. And uh, I fell on his neck and cried like a baby. I got saved. The Lord said, I'm going to send you around the whole world with the gospel. And I've been there. So t the drug addicts, the only way out is up. We can't do it. You can't medicate them. You know. But Jesus, he took it. He took it just like that. I was smoking five packs of cigarettes a day. The only way to smoke more is get up earlier. You know what I mean? <laughs> Good Lord. I'd break in the hospitals, get the drugs, take a handful of it to see what happened. But I'm, I'm going to tell you, I want to pray for you, okay? That you'll be able to set these captives free. Father, I want to thank you. 
I thank you for this man as he works with those men and women in, in addiction. I pray that you would put that Isaiah 61 verse 1 anointing upon him. Out of love, he'd set these captives free, and they would be free to love you, free to live for you, free from all the bondage. And Lord, I pray for these guys that are bound. I pray that you would give them a ray of hope. And you'd show them that you're who you say you are. And there's peace and joy and longevity in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, okay. I'm over here squalling like a baby. But don't ever get over being saved, okay? Don't ever get over being saved. Everything I did, I deserved hell. And then here's Jesus said, here, here's my kingdom. Isn't that something? It's the best deal in town. You give him your shame, your sins. He gives you his joy. And his peace. It's the best deal in town, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. All right. I could tell you stories about my friends. Woo! You could. Uh, we got to quit, hadn't we? Oh, yeah. oh. Let me tell you one quick story. Here we go. I used to. We. I, I, back then, I told you I was wilder than a tree full of monkeys. There was this woman, this girl, and she had done big, bad, violent crimes, but she was too young to put in the women's prison. So they put her in a, 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 a prison up there in Fort Worth. I'd break her out of the prison and party. We'd party like Bonnie and Clyde till we got caught. This is all true. Her, her name was Virginia. All right, now watch this. She's wild. Oh, my, listen, she'd scare me. So I got saved. Hadn't heard from Virginia for years. I go to Kentucky. And the preacher says, I have an elder in my church. He's dying with cancer. Can't come. Would you go with me out to see him? And I said, yes, I will. I get in this car in Kentucky with the pastor. He drives out of town, gets on the farm to market road, drives a long way on the farm to market road, turns down a blacktop road, turns down a gravel road, and we finally get there to a trailer house. I get out. We go up there in the way in the hills of Kentucky, and there's a trailer house. We go in, and there's the old man in a bed. He's really sick. <laughs> anyway, so here we are. I'm, I'm pulled up a hassock and was talking to the old man. And a car pulls up in the driveway down a gravel road in Kentucky. A door, a door opens, and this guy gets out, this bearded guy gets out with a camo shirt on. And the old sick guy looked down, and he goes, that's my nephew. I said, okay. And so the nephew gets out, and he's coming in. And then the other side of the door opens, and a leg comes out. Clunk. And following the leg is a gal. And I'm looking out the window of a trailer house in a hill in Kentucky, and I go, good God. That looks like Virginia. And then I thought, oh, no, that wouldn't be Virginia. You know what I mean? Nephew comes in, talked to his uncle a minute, and in comes Virginia. I'm sitting there, and I hadn't seen her in, I don't know, what, 20, 30 years? And she goes, <laughs> and I, I won't say exactly what she said. <laughs> something like motor freight or something, <laughs> something with the it's like, I don't know what all that was. But. Are you Bobby? I go, yeah. And she wanted to strike up. I said, oh, no. I've given my heart to Jesus Christ. He's washed me and I'm saved. And I get to lead Virginia to Jesus Christ 
in a trailer house in the hills of Kentucky. That's how concerned God is for souls. Isn't that amazing? You want one more story? I had this girl, and uh, uh, she always liked me. She was two grades under me, but she always liked me re- uh, a lot. And so uh, I'm saved, and I'm, I'm going to go do a funeral for some people where I used to live. So I go to do the funeral, and I'm, I'm going up there to the grave to bury this dear little lady. And a Jaguar pulls up, a Jaguar car. Out comes the leg again. And it's Peggy. And Peggy's dressed like you can't imagine. And she's, she's always like me, so she sauntered up there by me. And we're walking to the grave to bury this woman, you know. And so I'm, I said, hey, how you doing? She said, I'm doing great, man. I said, where do you live? She said, L.A. And I said to her, I said, well, what do you do? And she said, you really want to know? I go, yeah. I'm on the way to bury this woman. You know what I mean? We're headed to the casket, you know what I mean, in the sand hills there. And she said, I'm a high-end call girl in L.A. I go, good. Wow. I wish you hadn't told me. And I, I'm, I'm bumbling around for words. And I go, well, I'll just pray for you. You know. All right. Now, this, I, this is true now. She goes back to L.A. after the funeral. She starts tithing to my ministry from her occupation. Look out. And I said, God, I, I, can't, I can't take this money. I'm not putting this money. And he said, no, you need meat offered to idols if you sanctify it. But make a long story short, I did start praying for her. She's off in L.A. I'm off all over the earth. And guess what happens? I get a call one day. She said, Bobby, can you tell me how to give my heart to Jesus? I said, I can. She gets saved, moves out that week from L.A. to Dallas, Texas, gets her a real job in a banking where you sit out in the booth and they drive through and put their money, you know. And guess who drove through there? Oh, Willie Nelson's producer drives through there, sees Peggy, falls in love with Peggy, marries Peggy, and Peggy, he owns one of the biggest horse ranches in Texas. And so there's Peggy, she's born again, and she's really tithing into ministry now. And then guess what happened? She's married to this this music producer that owns a big old horse ranch, and he's driving across the bridge, gets a headache, falls over the brain aneurysm, so she's a millionaire overnight. Went from a hooking. You see what I'm talking about? I got stories that make your hair stand up. We spent a ton of money on a sound system there in church. And a hooker was working the truckers over a CB and it came through on Sunday morning. And they couldn't mute it. See, where's reality television when you need it? I'm up there preaching and you hear, it was a high-end thing we put for TV. And it picks up her. And she's, she's, and I'm trying to get them to, and they go, they couldn't cut her off. The band was too big. Anyway, so she gives her address. Uh-huh. So me and my wife, Monday, I followed the address. Down, around the curve, red house up on the hill. Me and Carolyn, my wife, we pull up there. I said, come on, we get there, walk up on the porch, knock on the door. I hear some music. I knock a little louder. That's the door opening. Some gal sticks out an eyebrow and goes, uh, do we have an appointment? I said, yes and no. 
So we'd get there and we'd lead her to Jesus Christ. She joined our church. These guys sit in there. She joined her church. No human being knew she, who, you know, knew who she was, and she transformed her whole was transformed. Isn't that crazy? But see, it'd never happened if she hadn't bled through the system. See, we got a fish where they're schooling. You know what I mean? Well, we got to go now. It's late. I'm going out to sign books, and then we're going to get an air, on an airplane, this, and then we're going to go to Bainbridge, uh, Washington. And uh, then we're going to go from there to uh, Calgary, Canada. And we'll be there for the, it, it'll be fun. And then we go somewhere else. I usually go a couple of places a week. Wow, busy. Oh, my. Every day we get stacks of invitations. But I'm telling you, God said, just go where I send you. Do what I tell you to do when you get there. I'll give them an impartation from Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. So that's what you get. Anything else? I could drag, drag up a few more stories, but uh, we've got about every hooker saved. And you know. Add a lot of drug dealers. Yeah. People need help, don't they? They need help. We're supposed to be the lights set on a hill. We shouldn't run from that. We should boldly tell them who we are. You can set any captive free. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. Superior in power. It is God that has qualified us and not we ourselves. It is He that has made us fit ministers. Maybe you've got some family members struggling with addiction. You, you know, maybe you can't talk to them, but you can talk to God about them and start praying a hedge around them. Pray a hedge around them and you'll watch this. It won't be long till they'll be calling you. They'll know who to call when the pressure gets so hot and heavy. Do you understand that? Don't ever break a bridge, build you a bridge of love. You can tell anybody anything if they know deep down you love them. They may snarl like a bulldog, but in the long run, they know that guy really loves me. Love doesn't quit, does it? We've got to love the unlovely. Even if they spit in your face, I've had them had to do that. Man, a lot just clear their throat and spit in my face. I want, I want us to be so much like Jesus. People don't even see us. And they go, what is this? And we turn a what to who is this? See, we're supposed to represent him, aren't we? Well, God bless you. I've enjoyed being here. Uh, so it's going to be great. Uh, you're going to have to get a bigger building. Okay? Or multiply some services. So make up your mind. Okay? Okay. Because he's fixing to tame the question mark into an exclamation point. Okay? You'll have people lined up there waiting to get in the room. Okay? You go, oh, nope. He, uh, he's going to do it. Okay? Just multiple services. I went to a man's church. He said, would you speak to my staff? I said, yes, sir, I will. I went in and there was 1,500 people in the room. I said, you told me this is your staff. He said, this is my staff. He has church four times a week. He has 45,000 people coming to his meetings and has church every two, uh, four days a week. Isn't that something? So I'm not saying that'll have to happen to you, but you'll have to go to two services. Okay. Well, I'm on the way to the airport. No, I'm going out here to sign books, okay? God bless you. Good.